Well, good morning, everyone. This morning, we are going to look at 1 Peter together. So please open your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you have a visitor's Bible, it's on 1015, page 1015. 1 Peter chapter 2. Let me lead us in a moment of prayer before we look at God's word together. Father God, we come to you this morning and ask that you create a space in our lives, in this place where we meet, to listen. Help us to have ears that are attentive to your word. Help us to receive the challenges, but also the great comfort as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's turn together to 1 Peter, chapter 2, and we'll be reading from verse 11 to the end of the chapter 25. Chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge, urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, 
but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. In this passage, Peter calls us to live a good life. But what can a Christian expect a good life to look like? What would those who have walked with Jesus for a long time say to those of us who have walked with him only a short time about what to expect? What about those who are still considering the life of a Christian and whether or not it's something they want to commit to? Well, if we were to go back a couple of verses from our our passage, we would expect the good life for a Christian to be very good indeed. In verse 9, Peter says, We are God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, God's special possession. And that sounds great. But actually, the Christian life can be quite difficult at times. Many people on our social media feeds, they're all aiming for a good life that looks like sitting on a yacht in Monaco. The good life is usually seen as a a position of great power, or of great comfort, or of great happiness. Yet, many of God's chosen people, his, his royal priests, we're just aiming for a life where we keep going, keep going to church, keep loving God, keep loving people, and not taking too much slack for being a Christian at work and in our communities. The good life for a Christian tends to be less about success and more about dealing with suffering, less about supremacy, and more about submission. Why is that? Because, as Peter says in verse 11, we are but sojourners and exiles. In heaven, we're a a special, royal, holy nation under the reign of our King Jesus. But on earth, we're simple pilgrims traveling to our heavenly kingdom. And before we take up our place in heaven, we live in this temporary existence where we must take up our cross as we follow Jesus. Peter himself had to learn this lesson that we have today, how to live as a Christian in a non-Christian world, because that was the situation Peter found himself in when his master was taken away by Jewish and Roman authority to be crucified. Peter was faced with the question, how do I now continue to live as a good Christian? It's something these first readers needed to to learn as well. Living in Roman provinces in a non-Christian culture under a non-Christian authority. When Gavin recently preached to us in 1 Peter, he said the big message of Peter is to stand firm in the true grace of God. And the reason we must stand firm is because we are in a non-Christian culture. We're under a non-Christian government and in a largely non-Christian world. And if we're going to survive in this context, this culture that is not Christian, We need a strategy. And that's what we get in verses 11 and 12, a survival strategy. Now, there was a a time hundreds of years before Jesus when God's people 
desperately needed a survival strategy. They were living as exiles in Babylon. God had judged their sinful behavior and sent them into exile. As they lived as refugees crying by the rivers of Babylon, they desperately longed to go home. And it was a longing that was embedded with guilt and shame because it was their own sinful ways that had resulted in their exile. They were a scattered people clinging to Isaiah's prophecy that God would send his servant to rescue them, to suffer and die for their sin and gather them as God's flock like lambs in his arms. Now, hundreds of years later, as Peter points to at the end of our passage, God's people have the promised servant in Jesus who suffered and died for our sin. He is the good shepherd who gathers us into his arms. So when Peter calls them exiles in verse 11, he's drawing on that old imagery, but it lands very differently for followers of Christ. We don't fear exile and judgment because of sin, because we have the promised Messiah. But we are still waiting for his return. We are still pilgrims waiting to reach our home. And on the journey, says Peter, we must still abstain from sin. Jesus has paid the price for sin. But the sin in our lives, it still does something. It it wages war against our soul. Peter urges, urges us, though we are in some ways at the mercy of non-Christian culture and our non-Christian context, we must stay away from sinful desires. Don't be drawn into responding like non-Christians around you. In verse 12, he says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. There's a situation here of living a good Christian life, abstaining from sin, and yet being accused of doing wrong. And Peter knows that in such a situation, it's so tempting to give up and respond with our sinful instincts. When you feel an injustice is done, when you are accused of doing the wrong thing, even though you know it's right, it's good and godly, Peter says, don't be tempted to give in. Stand firm and dazzle them with goodness and bring glory to God. Now, people tend to use verse 12 to say, live good lives to evangelize people. And in many ways, I agree, and I think, you know, yeah, I can see how when I was a non-Christian, Christians living good, godly lives had a big impact on me. But we should also have in mind that if someone doesn't become a, a Christian because of our, our good deeds, it's not our fault or because we didn't do good. In one sense, they will still bring glory to God as non-Christians. God's glory is not dependent on our good evangelism. God's glory is also seen when he judges the wicked. Because God is so just and so good, it wouldn't be right 
if he left the wicked unpunished. If they see your good deeds, if they see Christ in you, but they don't turn to God, then still glory be to God when they are punished for that. Chapter 3 quotes a psalm that we we also sung this morning, and I I think it uh, is really helpful. So just turn to the right to chapter 3 and look with me at verse 10 to 12. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. When we face a difficult situation, we are, we are called to respond with goodness. Peter gives us this specific situation of being accused of, of doing wrong, And so the challenge is, are you going to respond to injustice with goodness? Or are you going to let your sinful desires just pour forth and let them take over? Are you responding with a deep sense of goodness from being grounded in the person of Christ who has saved you? Or are you responding to difficult situations like the old sinful self? who'd never known God's mercy. As we go deeper into chapter 2, Peter gets more specific about situations that will make this way of living seem more and more challenging. Some will say it's, it's foolish and naive, but God calls us to draw on that deep sense of good in Christ, to always turn to God for help, and always follow Christ. In verses 13 to 20, we see that God calls us to not only follow, but actually suffer for Christ. If you thought responding to slanderous accusations with goodness was tricky, then this is going to be really tough. Peter says in verse 13 and 14, and then 18, that Christians are to submit to all human authority. And in verse 20, he says, submit even if that results in suffering because that pleases God. Let's have a look at those verses together. Verse 13 and 14, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. This is really challenging. But this is what God wants. Peter says in verse 15, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. As I said, many people will think this is a weak response, naivety, even avoidance. But notice that this lesson to submit is not about being inactive. It's not about withdrawing from the world. It's not about becoming a monk, however tempting that may be. There is a call to live 
in the world. Look at verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Live an active life. Go live in the world. Go to the marketplaces. Discuss politics. Design buildings. Make art. Be an engaged citizen. But don't use that as an excuse to live sinful lives. Instead, always remember we are God's servant. We belong to him. He is our ultimate authority. If you notice verse uh, 17 and 18, Peter says the only person they are to fear is God. Some people say in other translations this word servant or slave in uh, the NIV in the original Greek is, is not really slave, but it's more like a house servant or a house manager. But at the end of the day, in these times, there were slaves, and things were really awful for most people who had some kind of master or authority above them. Verse 20 shows us how getting a, a physical beating was on the cards for not doing your job wrong. And Peter says, no matter how awful it gets, only fear God. Submit by doing good and adds that if you do so, it pleases God. How is it to your credit, he says, if you receive a beating for doing wrong? Instead, what is commendable before God, what pleases him, is suffering for doing good. Suffering because you are always living for him. Suffering because you don't fear human authority. Only God. Suffering because you're standing firm in the grace of God. This lesson that Peter gives us was one he had to learn the hard way. His apprenticeship to Jesus didn't always go smoothly. One day when Jesus was with his disciples, he said that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer at the hands of human authority. And Peter, being Peter, took Jesus aside and rebuked him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Did Jesus say, thank you, Peter, for stopping me for being so naive? No, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. He told Peter he only had concern for human things and no concern for God. And then he turned to all of his disciples and said, whoever wishes to follow me must take up their cross. We are called to follow Jesus, even into suffering. Some people might think, well, we do live in a, a time where there is a tremendous pressure to do the right thing. And so you might think in our cultural moment, the the call to live good lives uh, isn't so hard. And what suffering could we face in Britain? There is actually a strong voice in our culture to make a positive impact for goodness. The Christians Peter was writing to, they lived under the Emperor Nero, who was, let's say, insane. And paganism was mega weird. The church was just getting started. There's so many things they, they didn't know. Maybe this, this call to live comparatively 
uh, to, to live good lives, comparatively, it's, it's quite easy for us. I would say, yes, it is different for us in Britain. And yet, and yet, what do we do when this strong voice within our culture that calls for goodness goes against what the Bible teaches? Today in Scotland, we don't face the death penalty as punishment for living as Christians. But I think we're seeing it's going to get more and more difficult. Just in my time of being a Christian of just six years now, it's changing the way the culture is responding. It may be the death of your career. Are you willing to face that? Living as Christians pushes us into very difficult situations, especially with points of authority. And as this letter will go on to explore, this, this challenge seeps into every area of all our relationships in life. And so that's why we need to look to Jesus as both our example to follow in submission and suffering, but also the reason we can follow him in this way. In our final point, I want to quickly cover three things. In verses 21 to 25, I want us to see how Christ is our example, the importance of what he did at the cross, and the significance of him as our shepherd. Follow along as, as I read from verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So Jesus' example. On the night Jesus submitted himself into the hands of human authority and was crucified, Peter saw his master, his lord and king, die for the sins of Peter and for the sins of all God's children. And it's really important to realize that when Jesus submitted himself into the hands of human authority, he knew that in a much greater sense, he was submitted himself into the hands of the Father. Jesus was submitting himself to the punishment of Roman law because he could never compromise on God's law. That's the example Jesus is to us. Submission to human authority is far less about playing by the rules of authority and much more about accepting the punishment that, that sometimes comes our way for being a Christian. Jesus accepted the punishment. There was no deceit in his mouth, verse 22. He did not retaliate when he was reviled, verse 23. And this is really important. 
He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. The earthly judge may sentence us to prison and judge our deeds as wrong. But we must submit to that. We must submit to that punishment and entrust ourselves to God who judges justly. There are many scenarios where we have difficult decisions to make because we're Christians and because God's law is written on our hearts. Your boss may discipline you or even fire you. Your friends may reject you. Your relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend may finish. Your family may abandon you. But we must endure as Jesus did, entrusting ourselves to our Father. For me personally, I imagine by the time I'm 50, 60, 70, preaching God's word in this country is going to lead me into all sorts of bother. And I'm going to really have to face the challenge of this passage. And I'm going to have to entrust everything to the Father. Secondly, the importance of what Jesus did at the cross. Well, we have in verse 24, to get technical for a moment, is atonement theory. And the aspect of atonement we're looking at here is called penal substitution. And it's probably one of the most important aspects of what Jesus did at the cross. Imagine you have a debt and someone else pays for your debt on your behalf, which is a nice thing to imagine. This is what Jesus did with our debt with God. Notice in verse 21 that Christ did not suffer so that we would have an example. Christ suffered for you. As a perfect, sinless king, he took, took our sin in his body onto that tree where he died so that we could die to sin and live for righteousness. Christ took upon himself the very wrath of God, the wrath for the curse we deserve so that we could be free to live. This is the fundamental, absolutely necessary thing you need Jesus for. How can you be a Christian or follow him in any way unless you see Jesus in this way? And lastly, we must talk about the significance of Jesus as our shepherd. There's a lot here today about submission and suffering as a Christian, but Peter gives us this wonderful verse 25 to remind us that we may be seen as exiles and sojourners, traveling pilgrims, but in Jesus we have the shepherd and overseer of our souls. And so we must cling to our shepherd. As a wise saint once said, the only safe place for a sheep is by the side of his shepherd. Because the devil does not fear sheep, he just fears the shepherd. Dear friends, let me remind you this morning that once we were like straying sheep, but now we are gathered as God's flock, gathered by God's good shepherd. 
On Sunday evenings, we've covered the theme of, of scattering and gathering in the Bible and how whenever you see the word gathered in the Bible, it echoes back through the whole story and it points forward to where it's going. When we gather like this as Christians here at church, this is where we are no longer exiles in the world, but where we most see the reality that we are God's chosen people, a holy nation, God's special possession. This is where God has promised to meet us like nowhere else. This is where he unites us to Christ by the Holy Spirit. This is where we can pray together and change the world. This is where God feeds his flock as we come to his table and share in bread and wine. Church is how God deals with the threat of verse 11. Do you remember? Sinful desires wage war against our souls. But at church, as we gather and receive word and sacrament, our Lord takes care of us. This morning, God calls us to live a good life. For a Christian, that means to always follow Christ even into suffering. This is what the good life is for a Christian. It's tough, sometimes exhausting, even painful. But praise be to God that Jesus is our good shepherd, our Lord and Savior over our lives which are safely tucked away in him. All because Jesus, as the sacrificial lamb, took our place on that cross so that God could gather us into his arms, his flock, his chosen people, his special possession. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you as your flock this morning. We gather around your word. We are united to Christ by your Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would help us cling to Christ always. Whatever government you have in store for us in the, the coming time, whatever points of authority we meet in our lives, whatever difficulty in relations, relationships, Father, we pray that you would help us entrust our lives to you. We pray that you would help us submit to go through suffering and live good lives, always bringing glory to you. And that we would never forget that in all of it, you are with us. Every tear you wipe from our cheek, all our unhappiness, all of it, we are covered by Christ's blood. We are given Christ's spirit. And by Christ, we can walk as Christians. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.